Benjamin Franklin once said, the bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of low price is forgotten. The fact is, quality matters. Join us as we make quality fun, interesting, and accessible to companies of all levels. Quality Matters is a must-listen for all things quality. Listen in, ask questions, and get back to doing what matters most. Quality Matters, brought to you by Texas Quality Assurance, where quality management gets simplified. Hello and welcome back to the Quality Matters podcast. I am Kyle Chambers with Texas Quality Assurance. First, I got to say, guys, I am sorry. We have done a poor job of keeping up with the podcast this year, but you know, we always talk about saving time and energy for what matters most. And the fact is that life has just been crazy busy the last several months and we had to uh, get a little bit of slack somewhere. And so the podcast is is, is where it had to happen. Um, but we're back. We're trying to get this going again. And I wanted to when they get started with kind of a new mini series in it and, and trying to think about, well, what's going to be the most useful, most impactful uh, thing that we can do here? And well, you know, with Texas Quality Assurance, so we provide QMS software, we do consultation, fractional management, audits, so forth. Um, I really got to thinking about, well, when I was in that position of a quality manager, first going through doing a consultation, like, man, it had been great if I'd had a good kind of real world guide of how to do it. So that's what we're going to be doing here for the next few weeks is we are going to be talking about what that consultation process looks like. Now, this means that, again, this this works for someone like me who is that external consultant, but this could also work for you being the internal quality manager, maybe your VP of operations or whatever the position is, but you're the one who's leading the charge for ISO certification or APIQ1 or, you know, whatever the applicable standard may be. How do you go through the process? This process is largely the same, regardless the standard you're going towards. We'll, we'll talk about some differences with, say, health and safety and environmental management. But aside from a few differences, it's the same process for consultation. Now, there's a lot of ways that a lot of different folks do this. So I'm going to walk you through the way we do it. What I do directly for my clients, what I would do myself if I was the quality manager for one of these clients, it's the same process. So the first thing that I always like to do is start out with a gap assessment. Now, the gap assessment is not the same as the internal audit. It's going to feel the same. It's going to feel the same for the folks being audited or assessed or talked to. But the role of the goal of the internal audit is identification of compliance. So when I put on my internal auditor hat, trying to think about the best way to word this, I cannot care. Um why you do things very much. I cannot care why your business does what it does or even what it does. When I put on that internal auditor hat, my concern must be compliance to the standard, compliance to your procedures. And so that's what we're looking for is do your procedures meet the requirements of the standard? Yes or no? Does work your team does match what your procedures work instructions, so forth, say you're going to do, yes or no. That's an internal audit. We're not trying to learn about the business. We're only trying to assess how compliant the business is. Now, when it comes to a gap assessment, very different. There is no compliance at this point. We're not looking for compliance to the standard. I would do effectively the same gap assessment regardless of the standard. 
what we do is we start out with what I call a five-point review. This is one of the simplest documents and tools I've ever created, but it is absolutely one of the best tools, one of the best ways to go about doing it. So the five-point review, we're going to look at kind of the, the top core-level processes, I guess you'd say. Um, and again, this is using the ISO 9001 language, which you know, we've talked about for attend to use because it's um, a little more universally uh, understood and accepted. But we're going to go through basic stuff. We're looking at site info, you know, and we're going to be looking at some basic things. We're asking questions about the address. All right. What state site safety PPE requirements are there? Do we have any entry protocols? Now, you might think, well, these are kind of odd questions for quality, but one of the questions that we have in the internal audit is we're looking for preservation. So when it comes to entry and security protocols, things like that, very important for preservation. Site safety and PPE requirements, that's just good stuff to have documented. While, it, let's say you're doing 9001, and those haven't been defined in the company, we might want to venture down that road just a little bit. Yeah, it's a little bit of scope creep from 9001, but some important scope creep. Are there other partnered offices or facilities? It's not a very uncommon thing that there might be multiple, you know, kind of interesting business and legal arrangements between organizations. Those can really impact the business, need to be documented in your internal external issues, interested parties, things of that nature. Um, we want to, of course, document the desired uh, standard we're going for. Do we have a deadline for uh, completion of the certification? You know, I think I've told you before, the first time I uh, got my uh, previous company certified, um, I, I was informed that we had basically a year to get uh, ready for three standards. So maybe you've got a deadline. Maybe you've got a want to have completed by. Let's go ahead and make it a deadline. Things tend to get uh, completed when there's a deadline on it. Then we're going to go into what we call general and top level documents. Now, I'm going to make a copy of this uh, available online here at some point. Not got it there yet, but I'll make a copy online for you. And we're asking some basic stuff here as well. Do you have an org chart? Pretty simple question. Do we have an org chart? Have we defined these things within our organization? Do we have any job descriptions? Maybe you don't have job descriptions. I've seen before where some companies have a roles and responsibilities matrix. Great. It accomplishes the same goal. Do we have it? Um, have we defined our policy and objectives? Do we have a quality manual? Now, I'm going to kind of take a break for a moment. We're talking about manuals for a minute. Um, we'll have a whole episode going through how we build the manual. Again, my, my goal here is to kind of give away the, uh, the secret sauce for, for consultation. But uh, we're talking about the manual. Your manual, whether it's quality, safety, environmental, whatever it is, does not need to be the complete um library of all documentation that you have your quality manual should not include every single procedure your safety manual should not include every single procedure it should highlight the details in the management system probably actually not tell us anything too specific about our business maybe outside of the the context and leadership clauses of the standard but we want to check, do we have a manual? Yes or no? Maybe the answer for you is, well, we do, but, you know, it's like six years old, and I don't think it's been updated. Great. That's good to know. Let's go ahead and get it there. Maybe someone did a good job up documenting it years ago, and there's some valuable information in there. <clears throat> um, 
we're going to ask some basic things like, have we identified requirements for the context of the organization? You know, do your products require preservation? Is it temperature sensitive? Is it humidity sensitive? You know, what what are the things that matter here? What about transportation? Have we accounted for any requirements transportation? Um, but we're going to go through these things. And then we're going to ask ourselves some questions here about interested parties. Now, that's a weird term. We've talked about that before, but it's a weird term. But interested parties really boils down to who has an impact on your business and who do you in turn have an impact on. Now, biggest interested parties is typically going to be um, uh, legal entities like a TCEQ, Texas Commission on Environmental Quality, uh, the Texas version of the EPA. Um, for folks listening that aren't in Texas, you might be surprised to know that Texas has some of the toughest environmental regulations out there. Um, so we've got TCEQ that manages all of that, kind of like California's Cal OSHA and so forth. Um, but yeah, OSHA, Cal OSHA, those things, those are going to be interested parties. They're going to have requirements that have an impact on your business. And there may be other organizations um, for you know the business that, that you're particularly working in. Um, then we're going to go through, we're talking about risk and opportunities. Now, risk and opportunities, you know, I am not the biggest fan of the risk register. It's just not the way I like to run and uh, operate a business. But that risk register is really valuable up front in consultation, especially when you're doing a self-consultation. Because as we go through this gap assessment, we're going to identify certain things where we're just not doing anything for compliance to the standard. Now, in the gap assessment, our goal is not to answer how we're going to address the gaps. Our goal is simply to identify the gaps. We'll talk about how to address them later, but the gap assessment, we just want to identify what they are. Um, the risk register can become a very good way to identify those gaps and what was done about those gaps later on. Um, the risk register is also a really wonderful tool when it comes to health and safety because we're going to identify certain legal requirements. Maybe we've got a forklift in the shop. So we're going to be looking at, you know, um, CFR 1910.178 um, for our uh, power industrial trucks. And so we're going to identify the specifics in there that apply to our organization. And then we're going to document what we're doing about it, what procedure controls it. And we'll have a whole episode later where we talk about the risk register and how it's managed. Um, we, you know, but we'll, we'll get there another day, but then we're going to, but we're going to talk here in the five point review about risk and opportunities. And we're identifying like, have you ever actually assessed risk within your organization? Um, is it incorporated into project planning? Now, this is one thing with the uh, risk and opportunities that I need to point out is not a lot of documentation is actually required here. Um, so when we ask things about have you incorporated into your project planning, um, it may be that the way your work scopes are set up are there specifically to mitigate certain risks. <clears throat> so we need to really talk about that and think about that. Um, do you maintain any contingency plans? Well, I think right now there's five storms out in the uh, Atlantic. So hurricane contingency plans, probably not a bad thing. I think after all the mess everyone went through with COVID, we can all identify some supplier issues that could require contingency plans. Um, I think we've all could identify some uh, staffing issues that could require some contingency plans, meaning that if we fall beyond this point, we're going to kick this plan into action. So we want to see if we've identified any of these. 
I do want to throw out here that risk and opportunity need not be treated separately. Risk and opportunity really could and should be viewed as two sides of the same coin. Um, so it's a risk if we don't do something, something bad could happen. But if we do something, something good could happen. So an example of that, the fractional quality management program that we offer at Texas Quality Assurance, this came out of COVID. So we had on one hand, we knew that we needed a low cost monthly plan to support some of our clients that had to let go of their quality manager or maybe never had one, but have grown to a point where they, they need, need some help there. Um, so we had the risk that, A, if we don't do it, well, that's going to impact our business because we're not able to sell the same um, high dollar service that we used to sell before. You know, things like a classroom training. Classroom training was a good part of revenue before COVID. And, you know, you can't get a classroom training to save your life these days, hardly. So we really had to find a way to do it. And so that was a risk to our business that we had to replace a revenue stream. But it's also an opportunity because it allows us to engage with clients on a new new manner to do so much more good for them. So risk and opportunity are really just two sides of that same coin. So I've seen a lot of folks where they'll have a risk register and then they'll have an opportunity register. And I really, I can't say the standard doesn't allow you to do that, but I can say you're going to run into some problems there. Because again, every, every risk, every opportunity can be looked at in the alternate frame of mind. So I tend to document risks. This is something that requires mitigation to prevent a bad. Um, everything else is, you know, it's just part of doing business. You know, we don't want to document every sales opportunity, every marketing opportunity on that opportunity log, which is kind of the logical conclusion where you would have to go. So we do need, what we need to do though, is instead of putting all of anything risk related on the risk register and creating a risk management process because the ISO 9001 standard does not want you to create a risk management process. That's not what it's there for. The uh, risk, uh, risk based thinking was really introduced to replace the preventative action clause years ago. But uh, what we want to do is address maybe in the quality manual, it's a good place to do this. Maybe we have a separate procedure for risk and opportunity. But later on, we're going to want to address how we handle all of these other risks and opportunities that are just a part of normal business operations, like your sales process. Sales and sales opportunities are identified by XYZ and managed by the account managers. Great. We're tracking risk and opportunities there without use of a register. So these are some things to take a look at. And I put extra emphasis here because when you're reading through the standard, it really looks like we've got to do a lot for risk and opportunities. Um, but not so much. Again, we'll have a whole other episode detailing some of that and more, uh, more fun. The next area that we go into is going to be infrastructure and preventative maintenance in the environment. So this is dealing with equipment. This is dealing with the location itself. This is, you know, everything physical that we've got going on around there. So we're not necessarily looking looking at calibration yet although i will say nine times out of ten i like to clump our calibrations and preventative maintenance processes together i find again smaller businesses and there's a lot of overlap there larger shops it, it tends to separate itself some but we're asking some basic questions here again what infrastructure are available to production personnel now 
this sounds kind of like a weird question, kind of like something you're supposed to ask. But really, what are we looking to learn from it? And what I'm looking to learn here would be, um, do we provide the tools or do the employees provide tools? Are these uh, the employees' weld machines or their personal weld machines? Are these their calipers or are they company calipers? You know, who owns the tools? Who provides the equipment? Same thing with the trucks. Are these company trucks? Do they provide their trucks? These are going to change some of the controls of how we, we manage the system. What sporting services are provided to employees? Again, do they provide their own laptop? Do they provide their own um, cell phone? Or do we provide it? Um, do we provide the software and tools they need to do their job or do we rely on them to have it sometimes in the case of say uh, electricians they might have their own complete set of tools and we're going to let them use what they know how to use now that creates a little bit of a, a fun quirk because then we've got to make sure that it's calibrated and maintained but you know that's another problem to to solve at least we will have identified the problems that we need to need to solve we're going to ask how do you manage uh, for provided equipment and resources Okay. How do you keep up with it? Do you have a log of all of your equipment? Do you have a log of uh, maintenance? How's maintenance handled? Is it that we go holler at a uh, maintenance manager when something breaks or do they have a preventative schedule? Do we have a work ticket system? You know, what's in place? Um, we're going to ask about preventative maintenance. Is this in-house? Is it outsourced? You know, are there any other forms or documentation? Um, so we kind of go through some details like that. Next, we're going to be talking about monitoring and measuring of resources. Now, monitoring and measuring of resources, this is another one of these kind of weird ISO terms. But what it really means is, are we tracking how well we're doing and across what areas of our business are we tracking it? Okay, this is where, and I've talked about this a bunch of times before, the non-conformance reporting process is really, really crucial. If we do a good job of reporting nonconformities as they occur, then we can make the assumption that things are compliant and going well otherwise. Once you're able to safely make that assumption, you can really use your nonconformance reporting process really well for monitoring and measuring of your business. This also can involve any KPIs that we have. Now, KPIs require tracking a lot of data, showing trends. We're not necessarily looking for nonconformities there. The only problem with KPIs is depending on how small of a small business you are, you may not have enough data points or the people available to collect and analyze all of that data. So when we think about monitoring, measuring resources, yes, we think KPIs, but we want to think about how can we utilize existing tools we have in our management system for that goal. But some of the questions that, uh, you know, we're going to... Um, going to ask or, or again, you know, still pretty much, uh, you know, pretty much the same as uh, same as what we've done before. We're going to talk about competence and training. Um, competence and training is a tough one. There is just, you know, no two ways around it. It's hard to find time to do it. It's hard to know what to do. But what we're worried about here is we want to find out who's authorized to provide training. Now, you may think, oh, my gosh, got to be an authorized trainer. We've got, you know, I know there's a forklift train the trainer course, but um you know, how do you determine that you're actually qualified to be a trainer for it? For most trainings, that's really up to management discretion. And so that can be written into the procedure that, you know, how management will determine who can be a trainer for such and such type materials. And if you've got good enough training materials available, which is a tough one, but if you've got good enough training materials available, then in theory, 
almost anyone could facilitate the training as opposed to being the trainer for the training. If they could just facilitate it, that may work well as well. You know, we're working uh, right now with a TQA cloud. We're working on an LMS uh, within the uh, QMS software so that we can put videos, quizzes, things like that in there to help uh, help make training a little bit easier. And again, this kind of goes along with the idea of facilitating training as opposed to being the trainer. Uh, for things like maybe uh, Hascom that are, well, not unimportant, uh, fairly simple and straightforward to train on. Um, if you've identified all of the materials in, in your uh, your organization and what you do about it already, it's pretty easy to train on. Um, whereas uh, forklifts might require a little more hands-on uh, training and experience and, and so forth. So, you know, you kind of need to make a judgment decision there. But then we're going to ask also, like, you know, where do you store the competence records for employees? Um, I've seen a number of ways. I've seen before where every employee has a file and there's a copy of the sign-in sheet in there with it. But then that gets to be a problem when it was a group training. And so, you know, I've seen if there's just no shortage of photocopies or, you know, maybe there's an Excel log with um, a sheet for each employee. Then we list each training that they had on there. So these are all different ways that I've seen folks do it. Um, it's tough to manage. It's just really, really tough to manage because we have to identify what those training requirements are, who needs to be trained, have the people available to do the training, the time available for the employee to be trained, and the training materials to train with. These are a lot of difficult pieces to put together, but this is what you're going to want to be looking for is do we have all of these pieces? Are we missing any of these pieces? And if we are, those are going to be the gaps that we identify that we want to solve at a later time. <clears throat> We're going to talk a little bit about communication. Now, communication is one of these where, you know, people kind of laugh when I make the suggestion we need to have a communications procedure. Um, the communications procedure oftentimes becomes what I call a summary procedure, meaning we're not really telling us anything new in there. We're going to talk about um, how the non-conformance reports get communicated. We're going to talk about the sales communication methods. We're going to talk about, God forbid, the news shows up on our doorstep. Who's allowed to talk to them? If we have an injury and we need to, uh, you know, serious injury and we need to contact OSHA, who's allowed to contact OSHA? So we want to put all of these details in one single communications procedure. But before we do that, when we're doing the gap assessment, we're going to ask, you know, what documents are readily available to employees? Well, That's a really important question. Do they have access to procedures? Do they have access to work instructions? Do they have access to their safety data sheets? Who has access to them? How did they get them? We, we want to find this out. What if we change something in the management system? We update a procedure or we put a new process in place. Who is responsible for communicating that? Now, you might say, well, that'd be the quality manager. Maybe yes, but maybe you don't have a quality manager. And yes, you can run a quality management system without a quality manager. Um, we want to identify whose resp responsibility it is to communicate these changes. Um, we want to identify who can communicate with customers. Some shops, we don't care. The customer comes in, talk with everyone. It's casual environment. Great. Other shops... It's different. We want to make certain that we've got documented what that is. So it's then enforceable. And it's, it's the way that we run our business. We want to identify, you know, how we communicate with anyone that's coming on site. Do we have certain controls in place to uh, bring a guest on site? Maybe there's security uh, concerns at play here. Don't know. Each organization is different. But these are all the questions that we're going to want to ask. 
we're going to talk about documented information. Now, documented information, you remember, we used to call them documents and records. Now we call them documented information. I kind of made fun of it at first, but it makes a little bit of sense now. <clears throat> Let's say when you think about computer softwares. Well, you get a purchase order that's spit out from your accounting software, but that purchase order, there's no form that it exists in. It, it just gets output from the system. So it's documented information. It is controlled because the updates to that computer software are controlled. So it is controlled documented information, but it, it's a little different. So again, kind of the way things are these days. Um, but we want to ask, where do we store our QMS documentation? Maybe you've got a file share. Maybe it's on a desktop. Maybe it's on a Google Drive. Maybe you're using a software like TQA Cloud. Who knows? But we want to identify what you're currently doing. I want to know what you do with obsolete documents. When you no longer need a procedure, you know, what do we do with it? Maybe an inspection form or a work instruction, but we no longer need it. How do we obsolete it? Um, who has access to the documentation? Um, what, uh, you know, what are the naming conventions that we use? Maybe there's a certain way we would want to name these things. Maybe not. I don't know. But we need to find out because if there are naming conventions in place, we may want to keep them. We may want to modify them. We may want to scrap them, but we need to know what they are. I want to know if you maintain a master index of documents. So, again, these are all the kind of key questions that we're going to ask. We're going to go through contract review. I want to know what the quoting process is like. How do you quote something to your customer? You know, I ran into a, a case here a few years ago where they did quotes over text. And, you know, it's kind of hard to get uh, an agreement on things over text. But, uh, you know, it's what they did. So we kind of took that and figured out how to work with it. But you really need to find out, you know, what these things are. Do you have certain controls in place? Maybe over a certain dollar value, we need to get a signature under a certain dollar value. Maybe e email authorization is okay. And if that's the case, we want to make sure that that's documented later on as well. We want to know who's got authority to sign and enter agreements. Um, same thing with uh, mid-level production, you know, uh, mid-production contract changes. How do we handle change orders? Um, again, we're just looking for all of these basic details to understand how we do our business or how we run our business. So it kind of goes on from there. We go through design and development, uh, purchasing, production and service provision. Now, production and service provision can include a lot. And so we do list a few things in here for specific special processes because they may have their own controls in place, things like NDT, welding, heat treatment, you know, painting, machining, EDM, you name it. Um, but want to understand what controls are in place for all of these. Um, we talk about identification and traceability. How do we track a material throughout the, uh, the shop? And again, the answer is going to vary not only on what you do, but how much you really should track for each organization. <clears throat> we talk about preservation. How do we make certain that it's, uh, the products staying, uh, staying in good condition, uh, protected from theft or damage, things like that. We're going to talk about not controlling control of non-conforming outputs. When something does not go according to plan, it's not conformity. How do we document it? What do we do about it? We're going to talk about monitoring, measuring, evaluation of the management system, internal audit, management review, and lastly, corrective actions. Again, all in all, this winds up being at least four, if not a full eight hours to, uh, to get documented well. But once complete, you've got a really good picture of what the company does from the perspective of 
the management system standard. That's going to really give you what you need to get started on writing procedures. We've got this broken out the way that it is because we tend to write a procedure for each of these sections. Now, things like production and uh, service provision, we may have a top level production and service provision procedure. Then below it, we may have multiple separate procedures for each operation. We've got um, procedures for our NDT inspection lab. We've got some over here for our metallurgical lab. We've got one over here for, you know, maybe we do weld test in-house. So we've got a whole series of procedures there for weld testing and for qualification for welders and so forth. But each one of these sections of this five-point review tends to become a procedure in and of its own self. Then we're going to go through and we're going to write the manual. Now, I won't lie. I make the manual from a template. We've got a template we use. It's broken down by the clause of the standard. Then we go through and tag in the individual procedures. And we give just a very small blurb about what they do and how they help meet the requirements of the standard and what that procedure documents for our business. All in all, you'll just see that the quality manual, health, safety, environmental manual is largely a summary of how we meet requirements, not necessarily telling us a lot of unique things to do. Now, I know this may not be the most thrilling topic in the world, but if you're able to do the consultation work for your team, it's going to give you such an advantage. Um that you wouldn't have had otherwise. If you can walk through this in a methodical plan with patience, with understanding and a very inquisitive attitude, you're going to learn so much more about the organization than you ever thought possible. And it's going to really help you put those tools, put those practices in place to bring the company compliant and, and really add a lot of value to the business. So I hope this stuff is a value to you. I hope you like this uh, mini series going forward. Again, we're, we're going to be going through everything that we do in a consultation process on a week by week uh, fashion here. So tune in, check us out, and I hope to hear from you soon.